Um, now, looking at your research, is there any particular case study that you can, okay, I'm not saying reveal me the name or um, the identity of an individual. Is there any uh, particular case study that sort of remain in your head because of maybe the, because of how the case go, because of, I don't know, that you can share with us to sort of help to educate more people? Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. And um, that's interesting. So none of my research has actually involved victims or survivors. So my research has all been with parents or with, like I was saying, with offspring. Uh, so with older, you know, with um, um, adults, asking them about their history with their parents. Um, so I don't have any um, direct examples of victims or survivors um, in terms of a case study. But I mean, reading um, other people's work um, has really highlighted when victims or survivors talk about their experiences has really highlighted to me the difficulty that they have in recognizing, resisting and reporting this. So um, in terms of in terms of them being able to recognize that this is sexually abusive and I must do something, you know, grooming is so effective that the child may actually feel, or they may feel love for the person, or they might feel um, a connection to the person, or their parents are saying, hey, he's such a great person, or she's such a great person, this is what they're doing. So it's difficult for kids to then recognise that um, as something bad. Um, so I think kids do really struggle with that recognition, especially with the subtlety of, you know, the initial sexual advances, because... Arguably, even adults sometimes have difficulties in distinguishing what might be um, inappropriate or appropriate. So, um, and that goes as well to actually resist, you know, asking children to resist in the instance of a sexual um, uh, advance or sexual victimization. Again, the grooming process is such that at that point, it's very difficult for the child to resist. And also, if the child has been um, possibly somehow colluding with the perpetrator, so the perpetrator might, say, um, get the child to do something that might be against their parents' wishes, say, drink a little bit of alcohol or watch a movie they're not supposed to watch or something like that. And then the perpetrator has that against the child or can hold that over the child, can manipulate the child with those kinds of things. So, again, you know, asking a child to resist or to put a stop to something that's very difficult it's very it's very they're in a very tough situation there um as well you know reading victims survivors stories of their disclosure and and the agonizing decisions they've had to make you know i do remember one um child i think she was 15 and her main thoughts were if i disclose this my cousins lose their dad um and that's a big weight you know, that's a big weight for a young person to have on their shoulders, that if they disclose some person loses their, their father or their mother or relationships break down. And um, so, yeah, uh, um, so the, that was a long answer to your question. But basically, I think my reading of survivor and victim's testimony has really highlighted to me 
how difficult it is to recognize, resist, and report these things, just as it would be for, um, well, we know it is for adults who have been, um, who've had experiences of sexual assault or, um, so yeah, that's, that's the kind of long answer to your question. It's, it's okay, that, that, that's perfect. All right, now, uh, I don't remember asking you this question before. If I had, then I've forgotten it. Um, what exactly is the problem that you're trying to resolve with this research? My research project is about really um, amassing enough information, enough evidence to highlight to people that there are that there are things we can do, that there are better ways than relying on victim behavior change, that we've done this for a long time. It's very entrenched. We think it's the only way forward or we've been using it for so long that we kind of stopped wondering if it was actually working or not. And I'm hoping that my research will make people think that there is a different way and that maybe the way that we've been doing things has not been the best way to do things. So that would be my, you know, my summary of my research that I'm trying to amass evidence to suggest that there are better ways to involve parents and better ways. There are ways that we can change adult behavior rather than child behavior in this area because victim behavior change, in this case, child behavior change, is not expected in any other area of victimization or abuse, not with physical abuse or bullying or sexual assault or rape. We don't ever expect the victim to defend themselves rather than focusing on why is this happening and how can we stop it from happening? So that would be my my hope. Uh, say maybe a parent or an organization out there want to connect with you because of what you do. Um, they want to, um, I don't know, hire you or whatever. I know you, you are, you are you are not you are not all for hiring just now, but okay, we are all there to do radar service, though. Yeah. Okay, so how can people connect with you? <laughs> I would love to talk to anyone who would like to talk to me about this. I'm I um I I do love discussing my research and and how we can um, advance the field further. And um, I'm available on LinkedIn. People can find me on LinkedIn or at Griffith University on the Gold Coast. I'm on the website there, quite easy to find. And I'm um, postal, post um, doctoral researcher there, so I can be found at Griffith or on LinkedIn. All right. Now, uh, dear Julia, this is very important. What kind of a message would you like to leave for the parents uh, and guidian in this case? Because their role is very important in the protection, uh, the prevention and of course, also the protection of their children from abuse. Mm. What is your message today? I think my message is this is. Um, I don't want to um, pa parents to feel panicked about this, and I don't want parents to feel like they can never allow their children freedom or allow their children to see people. That it's a really, um, you know, fine line between being overprotective and being protective. Um, but that if parents can just have it in the back of their mind that one-to-one -one interactions with their child and other people should have a little bit of monitoring built into them. So whether it's not, it's just thinking about, okay, who's that person and what's the relationship here? 
And um, is there any way that I can, you know, monitor this by perhaps dropping in unannounced or having another um, person be there, even if it's a sibling, another child, someone else to drop in unannounced. Um, so just to just to kind of think about those one on one interactions, because that's how sexual abuse occurs. It can only really occur. It, it thrives on privacy um, and perpetrators exploit a lack of supervision and monitoring. That's exactly what they do. And then they try to, and then they kind of, you know, isolate and spend more and more one-on-one -on -one time with the child. They create situations where they're alone with the child. So I would just say if parents could just um, have a little question mark in the back of their mind about those interactions and just monitor when they think that there is, um, you know, somebody's orchestrating time alone with their child. So that's probably in summary, that's probably the main the main thing that I would I would say there's obviously lots of other things that I mentioned before but I would say keeping um, a little question mark about one-on-one -on -one time um, and making sure that that's as safe as you can make it mm -hmm. thank you very much yeah, that's a very valid advice so I, I'm even as, as a parent too I'm keeping that as, as an important at the back of my mind thank you for that yeah, um, yeah it has really been very encouraging and um and very rich the conversation uh to conclude it is there anything else you wanted to say maybe i didn't ask you um because it's not possible to enter into your head i know everything <laughs> you can say <laughs> this is the last statement from you if there's anything you wanted to add that i didn't ask you or just to conclude it please go ahead and do that oh great thank you well now i think your questions have covered pretty much everything um, I think I've really been able to um, get across my my ideas and my research. So I really thank you for the opportunity to do that. And I do hope that we can have more of a dialogue ab about the best way to to prevent this problem uh, and possibly have a rethink of how things have been um, done previously and maybe have a shift in what we're doing. So I really thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you so much, Julia. It'll be a pleasure on my path. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehead podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead A14. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you in the next episode.